All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT Network. We've got a great guest for you guys tonight. It's John Meacham. He's actually the subject of a new documentary on HBO called The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels, which let's be honest is a badass name. And we're gonna talk about that. He's also a renowned presidential historian, a contributing writer to the New York Times book review, a contributing editor at Time and a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And hence, the subject of the documentary. John, welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks so much. I love being called badass. I don't think that's ever actually happened, so I appreciate that. <laughs> so yes, and certainly the title of the. I mean, if there was a doc made about me called "The Soul of America," the battle for our better angels, I'd be pretty psyched about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically just it's already my obituary, so I'm done. Right? There's nothing else. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> so they'll they'll I oh my god I just came up with a revolutionary idea, um, gravestones with embedded YouTube videos. Oh, I like that. I like <laughs> that. That's good. If you can monetize that, we're in good shape. Yeah, well, we're trying. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's get to it. So, John, uh, this conversation could be interesting on a couple of fronts because we might actually have some interesting disagreements on the cause of the problems. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, people gotta know what the problems are. So you talk about a battle for the soul of the country. I agree with that. What do you think that battle is? And then we'll talk about how it came about and why it constantly comes about in American history. Sure. The forces that our better angels, Lincoln's phrase from the first inaugural, do perennial combat with our extremism, nativism, racism, isolationism, reflexive partisanship, and passion as opposed to reason. Instead of thinking out what we should do and then choosing a political team that is most efficacious at addressing that problem. We tend to pick a team and then whatever they say, that's the way we want to be. Which is fundamentally contrary to the insights of the enlightenment. And America at her best has been a political manifestation of the enlightenment era project. That in fact, we could live in an evidence based as opposed to a superstition based world. And so my view of American history is that the soul is not all good or all bad, but it's an arena of contention where those forces do constant battle against our better instincts. And it means that there's no happily ever after in American history. There's no once upon a time either. And so be wary of the politics of nostalgia and be wary of the politics of the expectation of perfection. Because the constitution itself was written with an awareness that we were fallen, frail, and fallible. And it made it incredibly difficult to get anything done because the framers assumed that most of what we would try to do would be bad. And we've done everything we can to prove them right. <laughs> but I would also add that they were revolutionaries. And so they built revolution into the document. Sure. And that's the amendment process. And so that way you don't have to pick up a musket. You could actually amend the constitution and that in and of itself is a mini revolution. So, so, so far we agree 100%. Now let's see if we can keep that going or not. Let's chip away at it, come on. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> so um, when it comes to partisanship, I agree with you there too. And and the parties have switched as we all know uh, from time to time, their, their positions, right? And the Democrats used to have the Dixiecrats who were more racist. Uh, now the Republicans uh, uh, used the Southern strategy, which I think the natural conclusion of that was um, a monster like Donald Trump. Uh, and people chanting in the streets of Charlottesville uh, in the way that they did. Um, so I'm not, and I used to be a Republican and now I'm a Democrat. So, um, and I have a good deal of loathing for both parties. So having laid down all of those parameters, um, isn't what you're describing though, if we're being honest about it, the battle between progressives and conservatives in this country, where the progressives represent America, enlightenment, reason, expanding the circle of liberty and conservatives by their nature fight back against that because not even politically, but as a matter of nature, they don't want things to change. So they wanna hold on to the past and and they are also afraid of the others and expanding that circle of liberty. And they're the ones who have fought to keep racism, discrimination against women, LGBTQ community, etc. If we're being honest, isn't that the real history of America? Well, I'm all for honesty, and I guess I, I would resist uh, painting with quite so broad a brush. And I paint with a very broad brush, so uh, so I, I, I stipulate that. Um, inherent in your proposition is that conservatives are always on the wrong side of history, and I don't yep. think that's true. <laughs> um, I really don't. Right? I mean, you, is that fair? Yeah, yes and no. So let me give a little bit of nuance to it so that you could respond to it. So if you're saying at any given moment, for example, if we're looking at micro issues, is something over-regulated, under-regulated, or regulated just right? It depends on the context. So a conservative might be right about it, a progressive might be right about it, depending on whether we have over-regulation or not. But when you look at the big picture, yeah, no, I think that my statement is absolutely fair. Conservatives are the ones who wanted to maintain racism. They're the ones who didn't want women to get equal rights. And they're the ones who didn't want gay people to get equal rights. And I could go down that list of macro issues where they were on the wrong side and progressives were on the right side. Yeah, I think that, again, I would resist 100% agreeing with you because I think that conservatives, it also depends on what we mean by conservatives, right? So. Ronald Reagan was in many ways right about the Cold War. He talked in terms of good and evil. He scared everybody. He himself said, I strike people as a combination of the mad bomber and Ebenezer Scrooge. And yet by May of 1988, he's literally playing with babies in Red Square. And so I resist on that level. I also think that it's a means and ends question. Right, conservatives tend to be, to use a football metaphor, tend to be if Ronald Reagan is on the 20 yard line and FDR and LBJ are on the other 20, right? That, that, that tends to be where we fight our, our, our political battles. And I think that we had a, at least a coherent conversation about means and ends in the country from 1933 until 2017. I think that what the incumbent president represents is a breakdown in a rough consensus, which was that 
we don't have to disagree about the fundamental ends, but we can disagree about the means. And the two questions that tended to shape almost every public question was, what's the relative role of the state in the public square? And what's the relative projection of force against commonly agreed upon foes and rivals? And so I'm not willing to say that everybody who's center right has been racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay. I just I don't think that that's borne out by by history, and I don't think it serves us particularly well to insist on a uh, on a partisan spectrum that there's a right side and a wrong side uh, that's that's absolute. That said, that I'm not saying that a middle course is always the right course. There was a right way on segregation, there was a right way on Soviet tyranny, there was a right way on women's suffrage and women's rights, there's a right way on questions of sexual identity. And so this is not both sides-ism. But I do think that you have to take account of a big complex country and see if the other side, and to me the conservatives are the other side in this, do they have a point? I had an old boss, um, Charlie Peters, who once defined intellectual honesty as the ability to say something good about the bad guys and bad about the good guys. And so one of the things which is related to this, one of the things I talk about all the time, particularly to elected officials on the very few occasions they, they even feign listening to me, is to go to your right side, wrong side point, is what side of history do you want to be on? What do you want us to think about when we look at your portrait? And it's it's an appeal to vanity, right? It's not an appeal to morality. It's basically what do we celebrate? What do we commemorate? And we celebrate John Lewis, we don't celebrate Bull Cock, right? We celebrate Alice Paul and Susan B. Anthony, not the people who are trying to keep women out of the public square and, and straight down the line. So I think that in the issues you lay out, I do believe that what we think of as the center left to left has been right far more often than the center right to right. But I'm not willing to expel them altogether. Yeah, and look, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. I was a political creature that does not exist anymore. I was a liberal Republican growing up in the Northeast in the 1980s and 90s. And so having been a Republican, of course, I don't think all Republicans are racist, sexist, bigoted, etc. Having said that, when you talk about conservatives versus progressives, it's almost baked in by definition. One wants to go forward and change where we need to. And could we change too much? Yes. Could the change be wrong at times? Yes, right? And that's where conservatives would be really helpful to the process in mitigating that. But overall, in a big picture sense, conservatives generally stick with the past. And the past is filled with racism, sexism, bigotry, it just is. I wish it wasn't, but it is. And yeah. One thing that helps your argument, if I may, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but one of the things to think about is what we think of as conservatism in America today is not classical conservatism. Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush, for instance, were actually quite revolutionary. His Dwight Eisenhower and George H.W. Bush, to go to your Northeastern Republican, the most vanishing species ever, 
they were truly conservative because genuine conservatism going back to the 18th century was you confront reality as you find it and you try to ameliorate as best you can with an awareness that almost every large reform will have unintended and possibly bad consequences, right? I mean, that's pretty much conservatism. But President Reagan wasn't interested actually in as interested in holding on to a past. He wanted to remake the present. He used to quote Thomas Paine, which is in, in itself proves my point because Thomas Paine and Edmund Burke are on the different sides of this. But Reagan would say, quoting Paine from the American crisis, we have it in our power to begin the world over again. Well, of course we don't, no, we don't have that power. Mm. Uh, we have the power to create a better world because we have a chance hopefully to ameliorate or exacerbate reality. But classical conservatism is something that's just really not part of the spectrum right now in American life. And Donald Trump is no, he thinks Edmund Burke has a reality show. I mean, he has no idea what we're talking about. So I think that one of the tasks in front of the Republican Party, you know, we're a couple of weeks out from the election, right? So who knows what happens, but let's say the polls are right. The Republicans need to figure out, are they genuinely conservative or are they right wing revolutionaries? And yeah. Trump, Trump is barely even that, right? He's just, he, he's, the, yeah, he's the exception that prove, proves the rule. But whether the, if this party becomes the party of Tom Cotton, uh, then, or does it return to some extent to be the party of Mitt Romney? That's a huge question for the future of what we think of as conservatism in the country. Yeah, so John, uh, on that front, um, first of all, Trump, I agree, of course, is an exception. The only ideology he has is Trumpism, what's best for Trump. Natural born con man probably will go down in history as the biggest con man in American history. And to be fair to him, the most successful. Not in terms of wealth, he's a disaster there, but he managed to get everybody to believe he was incredibly rich. He managed to get enough people to believe to become president. So that by definition means you have been a Enormously successful, at least at being a con man, in my opinion. Yeah. But when you break down to the conservatives today, I don't think Trump is an exception. I think they picked him out of 17 people in 2016 because they liked what he said. And and so there is no going back to the Mitt Romney world. So John, to that point, you say like, we now celebrate John Lewis. Well, who's we? You and I do, but the right wing doesn't. Trump said he ran a dirty, broken down, garbage filled Baltimore and the crowd went nuts. They love that kind of target against John Lewis. And why, let's be honest, because he's black. <laughs> they don't care what part of Maryland John Lewis actually represented and how half the district is, is you know, got lower end of the socioeconomic status and the other half is not. They don't care about any of that nuance. And yeah. to that point today, a YouGov poll comes out, 52% of Trump voters think that the Democrats are right, um, organizing and orchestrating a child sex ring. Yeah. Okay, John, I would argue that means half, more than half of the Republican Party, the voters have lost their minds. This is not a, a, a conversation you could have. Oh, well, let's debate. 
Are they or aren't they? Totally it's Looney Tunes. Totally agree with that. I have to I have to be dorky and say um, Elijah Cummings is who you're thinking about. Uh, uh, oh my bad, you're absolutely right. He attacked well, John Lewis on other racist grounds. Right. That's right. Uh, so the Lewis, <laughs> the Lewis thing was different, uh, but a, a different example of say the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. And when let me just go to your first part of your question, which is we. By we, I mean the 60% of the country or so that I believe is driven more by reason and is open to grace as opposed to those who are driven totally by passion and are more interested in pointing fingers than extending a hand. But American history is that there's gonna be 40% on the other side of that. When Joe McCarthy fell from power in 1954, censured late in the year, the next spring, the Washington Post did a poll about views of McCarthy, and 34% of the country approved of Joe McCarthy. At our moments of greatest consensus, which you could argue would be the 1960, the way we have to measure these things, the 1964 presidential election, right? That, that's about as clear as it gets. Johnson got 61, 62% of the vote. That means that Goldwater got 38% of the vote. And in 1968, we think about Nixon, you mentioned the Southern strategy, winning 41% against Hubert Humphrey. The more interesting number is that if you add George Wallace's number to Richard Nixon's, you get 53, 54%. So in our lifetime, just barely, more than half the country voted for either Richard Nixon or an overt segregationist for president. And so I agree with you, it's not stunning. It's surprising, but not stunning that someone like Trump would emerge from this. As I said before, I'm not a perfectionist. John Lewis was. John believed that the kingdom of God could come to pass on earth. I disagree. I'm with Obama and Reinhold Niebuhr. I think that the best we can do is make things a little bit better. And I just want to get that 60 number closer to 70. Maybe I'm giving up. Uh, maybe that's too uh, pragmatic, too cynical, I don't know. But I try to be driven by history and I tend to view the world historically and theologically. And I see us as a bunch of sinful, appetite driven, overly ambitious, selfish people. And I think the damn miracle is that we get it as right as we often as often as we do. Yeah, I hear you on that, and I and I think that human nature is probably broken down exactly at sixty forty. Uh, our better angels have wanting to work with others, being the social animals that we are. That's why the good guys win at the end of the movies, and that's why those movies do better than movies where the bad guys win. Uh, but forty percent of our nature is is not cooperative, <laughs> to say the least. Right. And some of the things that you discussed. So, but in the time that we have left, I I want to. Now turn around and hit the Democrats. Um, <laughs> so, um, so in in Soul of America, uh, which is coming out on October 27th on HBO, um, you you also talk about speaking of McCarthy, how he understood the headlines were more important than the details, yeah. and um, and that's where I think the Democrats get it very wrong, and and McCarthy and Trump and the Republicans get it right. Nobody's reading paragraph 17. Uh, it's it's just on a, again in a macro sense it's not happening. All they see is the headlines, and the Republicans win seemingly every framing war, and the Democrats have dithering, weak leadership that is constantly losing and constantly befuddled as to why they're losing. 
And 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 I'll add to that since we're limited in time, I'll squeeze it into one question. When you say the 20 yard lines, I agree with you that LBJ and JFK and FDR on the 20 on the left and Reagan's on the 20 on the right. But now Trump is not even in the goal line, he's in a different stadium. So they've gone so far right. And the Democrats have not gone to the left of LBJ, JFK. They've gone way, way, way right wing in an effort to appease right wing framing. Oh, don't worry, Joe Donnelly holding a Bible as he's re- running for re-election in Indiana, Indiana. Oh, I'm religious too. Please, please, the Republicans are generally right about everything. But you know, will you please elect me anyway? And that is how they have lost the soul of this country by not making their case and not being progressive. Yeah. So I think there's a, a rich opportunity and irony at hand. And this is a good place to to bring this together. I hope. You know, Trump wants to take us back to 1955, right? He wants to go back to fighting against Brown. Joe Biden, as a friend of mine likes to say, wants to take us to 1965. <laughs> uh, high water mark of liberalism, uh, government can be a force for good. Uh, it's before Vietnam, it's before Watergate. Uh, there is hope abroad in the land. But Joe Biden is most likely going to do something that a lot of other people haven't done. Which is if he reaches the pinnacle, he has an interesting opportunity. As a 76 year old guy who eulogized Strom Thurmond and James Eastland, he has the chance to be an actual progressive force in the life of the country in a way that younger people who look more like what we're the caricature of what we're thinking about would. The other person to mention in this is it might be the 80 year old Nancy Pelosi who can do more for those causes. As Nancy likes to say, in politics, you have to take a punch, but you have to be able to throw one. And so it may be that an 80 year old and a 77 year old actually create an opportunity for progressives to make genuine progress. Yeah, I, well, of course, I hope to God you're right. And I'm a little bit more hopeful about Biden, especially if he's gonna only be one term president and not run for reelection than I am about Nancy Pelosi. That's a different conversation, one I'd love to have with you. Anytime. Because I, I don't share the opinion that she's strong. I think she's incredibly weak, but that's a whole separate conversation. We, will, we, will, we start out disagreeing agreeing at 0% there, so anytime. <laughs> We'll have to do it again. Everybody, you got to check out the Soul of America, the battle for our better angels. On the history alone, you will learn so much from it. And so, John Meacham, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir.